Our vision for 2022, our vision for this year is formation. And the question we're asking ourselves again and again is, who am I becoming? And it all revolves around this idea, like, what would it look like if we ordered our entire lives around this vision of becoming more and more like Jesus, truly formed into his image? And our heart really with this is that by the end of the year, you could confidently say, yo, I look more like Jesus, I act more like Jesus, I speak more like Jesus than I did at the start of the year. But how many of you know that in order to be formed, we first must conform? That is, we must take seriously our call to be disciples or apprentices of Jesus. Now, we've been talking about what an apprentice of Jesus is. An apprentice of Jesus really only has three goals. And these are the goals that we're going to focus on for the rest of the year. Number one, be with Jesus. Be with our rabbi. Number two, become like Jesus. And the third is to do what Jesus did. And so these are the three things we're going to focus on. Uh, we got some really cool speakers coming in this year. Two weeks from now, I got a friend named Nassim who pastors. Um, she pastors in a church in Silicon Valley. She's going to come up and speak a little more about formation and how it looks and shapes, how it's shaped in community. And so we're, we're really going to dive into this thing. But today, we're going to start by talking about this value, this goal of apprenticeship, of being with Jesus. Now, out of the three goals of apprenticeship, I would argue that this is probably the most important one. Because how many of you know that there's coming a day when we're no longer going to need to become like Jesus because we will perfectly be formed into his image? And there's coming a day where we'll no longer need to do what Jesus did, like justice or healing the sick or proclaiming the gospel because all will be redeemed. But there will never come a day, hear me, church, When we are no longer called to be with Jesus, we never graduate from this. It is our eternal destiny. In fact, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did all flow from the foundation of first and foremost, being with Jesus. Really famous passage, not going to read from the MSG today, but John 15, 5, the ESV, right? The white version. I'm just kidding. Um, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we try to be Christ-like without first abiding in him, we strive in the flesh to no avail. When we try to do the works of Jesus without first abiding with him, we burn out. This is the key to our spiritual life. This is the key to formation. And we are called to be what Pastor Rich Velotis, my pastor crush right now, refers to as a monastic community. Now, a monastery is a place where followers of Jesus withdraw from the world to give their full attention to God. Now, history is full of movements of people that have left their cities and their homes to move into the mountains and the deserts for this very purpose. Monks living fully attentive and devoted to prayer and to this idea of being with Jesus apart from the distractions of the world. Now, obviously, we are not living in monasteries with monks 
rocks in the desert in the middle of nowhere. We are living in one of the most fast-paced, technologically advanced, busiest, and loudest cities in the world. Yet I believe the call is the same. Not to uproot and move to monasteries in the deserts, but there is an invitation extended to followers of Jesus to cultivate what we call monastic moments in our lives. Little monasteries in our everyday lives where we could withdraw from the world to give our full attention to Jesus. Now, there are a few monastic moments that have marked my life significantly. Just to share a few, when I was in high school, I was a junior, and I was getting on fire for Jesus. And I remember at my church, Koreans be doing the most If you've ever been to Korean church, you know they're serious about their prayer. They begin every corporate prayer meeting by yelling, Jesus, Juyo, three times. Yeah, you know, some of you know. We might start doing that, by the way. We could do it in different languages every week, but... But Koreans be doing the most. Another thing that they love, they just love suffering. They love having what they call early morning prayer. And sometimes, you know they're super spiritual if they do it at 5 a.m., but some, some Korean churches, they're extra spiritual if they do it at 4 a.m. And my church, church I grew up in, the Korean church that I was raised in, they was doing a 4 a.m. early morning prayer every single day, y'all. But in that season, I don't know why, it was during the summer, so I didn't have school, and I had nothing to do with my life except just be me, and I I thought, I'm going to commit this summer to going to early morning prayer every single day of the week. And so Monday through Friday, I kid you not, as a 16, 17-year-old boy, I went to the Korean church early morning prayer from 4 to 5 a.m. every single day, and listen, it wasn't fun. They'd be singing Korean hymns. They give a message in Korean. I have no idea what they're saying, but there was something about just giving my morning to God, about starting my day with God. That, that little Korean church that I grew up in became my monastery. And every morning became these monastic moments where, I mean, four, four times out of five in the week, I was really bored out of my mind. Sometimes I would fall asleep, but there would be those few moments where I just felt so tangibly the presence of Jesus. And those are the mornings that shaped me, that, that shaped my prayer life, that taught me what it means to sit in the presence of God. Monastic moments in, in college, one summer, we, we be, decided to become extra spiritual. And so there was a group of, uh, of guy friends, and we decided not to go home. We were at UC Davis, so we decided to stay on campus for the summer, and we decided to devote our summer to God. And we called ourselves the Space Grizzlies, and our our mascot was Chewbacca. I don't know what that was about. We just liked Star Wars a lot. But every day after lunch, we would go to the library, UC Davis Davis Library, and we would just study different topics of faith. And my topic for study that summer was the book of Revelations. And I bought this fat book from John MacArthur, and I was just reading that every lunch that I would go. And that UC Davis Library became our monastery, where we would go and we just study scripture, study God. And I tell you what, I don't remember a lot of what I learned that season, but I just remember the heart of devoting myself to study God and study his scriptures. There was another time, you know this story, where on my 22nd birthday, um, I retreated into the mountains. Actually, Dan asked me if there's any, any cool retreat sites around here, and I told him about Prayer Mountain in Santa Clara. If you guys know, if you're from around here, there's this mountain that's owned by this elderly 
Korean woman, and she allows people to come and rent out these little cabins for free of charge, and you could just give what you want at the end of the day. I mean, I'm making it sound glamorous. It is bare bones. Like, there's literally just a room with carpet and a sliding door, and there's this demonic black cat that walks around there. It's kind of, it's scary. It's dark at night, Uh, but I remember on my 22nd birthday, I retreated. That place became my monastery. And some of you know the story. That's when I got called into full-time ministry 12 years ago. Have you experienced something like this? A powerful moment in the presence of God that, that just marked you for life. A time where Jesus radically transformed you from the inside out. A monastic moment. If not, there's an invitation from the Spirit of God to come away and to be transformed in His presence, to cultivate these monastic moments in our lives where we give our full attention to God and allow Him to move in our hearts. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I think I should. You've been to retreats, right? Many of you, for many of you growing up, you know, church retreats became your monasteries where God really marked you. I remember one in particular not too long ago. Um, it had been a while since I physically felt the presence of God. And at this retreat, um, I don't know what your theology is, but I came from a super Pentecostal background. I got slain in the spirit. My body was just overcome with the weight of God's love and glory. I got knocked out. I was on the floor for like a good hour. And a funny story is, you know, you have community groups, like little small groups in your retreat. Um, my retreat small group, afterwards, we're supposed to debrief and share what God did. Uh, I don't know why, but I was limp and lifeless on the floor, and they formed a circle around me, and they did their discussion. I don't know why they did that, but... Um, <laughs> But, but many of you probably experienced, whether it was a retreat or time in prayer or you went up to the mountains or, or maybe there was a season where you were hungering for God and you found a Korean church and went for early morning prayer, whatever it might be, we've all experienced that time in the presence of God. And Jesus is no different. In Luke 15, 5, it says this, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus, in the midst of teaching and miracles and casting out demons, knew that he needed to get away to be with the Father, to cultivate these monastic moments in his life. Listen, y'all thought you were busy? Listen, crowds of people were flocking to Jesus at every hour of the day looking for miracles and teaching and food. Listen, you mad when your manager emails you after work hours? Jesus was on the clock every hour of every day. The tens and hundreds of thousands of people were coming to a nonstop asking for their needs to be met. There never was an end. He was followed from town to town and people treating him like the vending machine of heaven And so Jesus, he didn't withdraw to be with the Father just because he enjoyed it, although he did. He withdrew to spend time with God because he needed it. Listen, if the Savior of the world, Messiah Jesus, needs time to withdraw to spend time with the Father, then surely we need time to withdraw and spend time with God. You don't need me to tell you that the world is overwhelming. The world that we live in is a bit much. We're surrounded by more noise and distraction than ever before. They say the average person, I was blown away by this, touches their smartphone 2,716 times a day. 
And that's even more in cities like San Francisco where we have everything on our apps. The noise of advertisement and entertainment and news and social media is constant 24-7, 365. And on top of that, our world continues to get faster and busier. And it just doesn't wait for us to catch up. We always feel like we have too much to do with too little time. And as a result, we are the kind of people that are always out of rhythm. And I think we're realizing more and more that, that our souls weren't meant for this kind of speed. That there's something misaligned, that we are out of rhythm. We're constantly plugged into the matrix and we can't seem to escape it. We choose the red pill every single time. And we're just caught up in the matrix of our noise and our busyness. But hear me, church, the good news of the gospel is this, is that we don't have to live this way. We have a Morpheus who has come to lead us out of our matrix, who offers us the blue pill of life and of truth. And his name is Jesus. He is the one. I just saw the matrix. If you don't know, that's why. Theologian N.T. Wright, he says, it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. Perhaps what we need to recover in our lives is this age-old ways of monastic spirituality, slowing down our lives to be with God, withdrawing from the noise of our world to be with Jesus. Another pastor, Ken Shigematsu, he says that every one of us has a a monk or a nun embryo living inside of us that is deep in our souls. There's a little monk, Dan, and a little nun, Paulette, that's longing to crave space to be with God in silence in stillness and solitude. But how many of you know that living at this pace means we need to regularly leave this world? That is being with Jesus in prayer and silence and solitude is a doorway to another world. It is the blue pill that unplugs us from the matrix. It is the wardrobe that leads us into Narnia. It is platform nine and three quarters at King's Cross Station that leads us to Hogwarts. It's a doorway to another world as we be with the one that we love. I've talked about one of my favorite pastors. Um, He was my pastor's pastor. Some of you might know him, Pastor Robert Daniels, and he is this quiet, frail, old African-American man who is very soft-spoken, but everything he says is like a dagger that cuts to your heart. And, you know, he used to be a stoner a long time ago. He used to smoke a lot of weed, which is why I think he's so chill and so mellowed out. But literally the building could be burning around him and it would just be like, all is well. Jesus is here. And he would tell us these stories where in the morning, you know, he's old school Pentecostal. He literally prays inside of his closet. Like his closet in his room is literally his prayer closet. And so he would tell us stories where in the morning he would go into the closet to pray. And he gets so swept up. It was a doorway into the presence of God, into another world that when he came out of the closet, it was nighttime sometimes. A doorway to another world, a pathway to another reality where we spend time with Jesus, the one we love. But this is the paradox of following Jesus. It's only when we leave the world that we can truly be at home in it. Pastor Rich Velotis, he says, for a disciple... To leave the world is to enter back into it from another door. The door of God's love and acceptance. The door of God's way 
of being. It's not that we're escaping this world and leaving it behind. It's leaving so that we could enter back in in a new way. See, Neo, sorry with the Matrix references, it's just on my mind, but Neo, only after leaving the Matrix, in, he had the new power and authority to set people free when he went back in. But he first had to leave. To set people free, he first needed to leave the Matrix and unplug so that when he came back in, he could fly and do all these cool kung fu moves and set people free. Maybe the reason we have no power in our world is because we never leave it. Maybe the reason why we have no witness in our workplace is because we never leave it. We're always in our workplace, even when we're home. Pete Scazzaro, author of Emotionally Healthy Church. By the way, we're doing a collection later this year on emotionally healthy spirituality. It is going to be so good and weepy. But anyway, he says this, the more we receive in silent prayer, the more we have to give this world. This is the point. By slowing down, we actually catch up with him. That is, we escape so that we can come back in, in a new way, with new power, with new authority, with new strength, with new life. But first, we must leave. Listen, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. There's no way around it. And so as Jesus withdrew to spend time with the Father, so must we. As Jesus spent time in prayer, in solitude, in silence, and in stillness, so must we, cultivating monastic moments in our lives where we leave this world to be with Jesus. Now to the practical. One of the ways that we do this, it's what's known as the contemplative rhythms. Now, contemplative rhythms, this is the definition. They're the unhurried ways that we open ourselves to God, that enables us to offer ourselves to others. The unhurried ways. Listen, I'm not talking about, I got 10 minutes this morning, I'm going to cram in a quick Bible reading. I'm not talking about, I'm going to listen to a sermon on the go while I'm also watching a TV show while also answering an email. I'm talking about the unhurried, unbusy ways that we open ourselves to God, make space for God to minister to us, to speak to us, to fill us. We're talking about rhythms like silence and solitude and stillness and prayer. These are the rhythms that slow us down so we could catch up to God. These are the rhythms that quiet us enough to hear the whisper of the divine. These are the rhythms that open the door for us into another world so that we can give our full attention to Jesus. We need this these monastic moments and so as you know we have a rule of life this year i don't know if you've been doing it but they've been really life-giving for me um but this year we're devoting every month to focusing on a particular spiritual rhythm that that means we're going to go deeper into a particular spiritual rhythm every single month and for the month of january it's the rhythm of silence or silent prayer we hate silence. I told you I did a, it's called a cryo chamber. I don't know what it is. You know those egg-shaped domes where you go and you, a float spa. It's a float spa. And they fill the water with Epsom salt. And I was like, I'm a little too heavy to float, but I did float. And basically what it is, is it's sensory deprivation where it's completely dark. All the noise is canceled out of there. And you're just floating in complete black emptiness. And I tell you what, I, I, I was in there. And five minutes into it, I was going crazy. 
because I just don't know what to do with silence. I don't know what to do with stillness. And maybe some of you are like that. Some of you, you can't even get alone. Or you can't, you can't just be a moment without some, some kind of noise. You know, Krista and I, we've been together for over seven years now. We started dating in 2014, y'all. I remember we became official on day this, uh, it's so, so pastor of me, but this documentary on the Holy Spirit came out. That's the day that we got together. In the beginning of our relationship, silence was really awkward. You know, we try to feel, we, we feel this pressure to fill every moment with conversation. You guys felt that? Like in the beginning, silence is kind of awkward. If you've been in a relationship, it's, it's kind of weird. But the longer and longer we've been together, the more that we've gotten to know each other, the more comfortable that we become around each other, the more that we're able to enjoy silence together, the capacity to simply be with each other. They... I don't know, pastors are weird, but I remember at this one conference, the pastors made us stand in a line, face each other, and not say a single word. And we're just supposed to communicate through our eyes what we want the other person to know. It was weird. I don't know why Christians do stuff like that. But, but it was just awkward, the silence of being silent with someone that you don't really know. But do you have those people in your life where words aren't necessary? Those people in your life where you can sit in complete silence for extended periods of time and it's not weird. People you can simply be with. I think it's true that the more familiar you are with someone, the easier it is to be silent in that person's presence. And I think one could argue that our discomfort with being silent before God just might reveal how unfamiliar we really are with him. This is what silent prayer is. Silent prayer is the practice of focusing our attention upon God through the simplicity of shared presence. You know, it's the surrender of our words to be with the word who is Jesus. There's this really gangster story about Mother Teresa where uh, this woman was in her this person was interviewing this woman. Mother Teresa was being interviewed by this person. During the interview, she was asked what she says to God when she prays. Like, what do you say to God when you're in prayer? And she, she replied, I don't talk. I just listen. And so the interviewer, he hears this like, ah, he thought he understand, understood where she was going with this. And so he asked in return, oh, okay, I get it. Then what is it that God says to you when you pray? And she just looked back at him, and she replied, he also doesn't talk. He just simply listens. And the interviewer's like, so confused. And there's this awkward silence, like, I don't really get it. And there was a long pause, but finally Mother Teresa broke the silence by saying, if you can't understand the meaning of what I've just said, I'm sorry, but there's no way I can explain it any better. Sometimes prayer becomes this transactional thing, right? Where we're always asking God for something or always expecting God to say something. Or if we don't feel like we got anything in prayer, we don't feel like we heard anything. It feels like wasted time or we feel like we're doing something wrong. But listen, hear me, church. The goal of silent prayer is not necessarily to hear God or to be heard by God. It's simply to be with God. And I don't think we create enough spaces where we're not trying to get something or hear something or get a revelation or, or be moved or get some answers to prayers or needs. Man, I think we don't create enough space to just say, God, I just want to be with you. And this is what silence 
offers us an opportunity just to be with the one that we love. Silent prayer is not a technique to master, but a relationship to enter into. In silent prayer, we let go of our need to perform, our need to produce, and we simply learn how to be with the one that we love. But here's the thing, and this is the last point I'm really going to make about, about this. This is going to set some of you free, is that the truth is silent prayer is often uneventful. It's boring. Rich Velotis, you know, R- I'm just going to call him RV. He's my homie, RV. He calls it normalized boredom. I think too, mu- too many of us have this unrealistic, non-biblical expectation that every time we pray, supposed to be this monumental, earth-shattering moment that's supposed to take place. The heavens are supposed to open up. The earth is supposed to shake. The, the clouds are supposed to part. And the voice of the Father is supposed to boom, like, Mickey, you are my beloved. Like, we think it's supposed to be these grand, big moments. But I don't know about you, but the majority of my prayer life is anything but exciting. Come on, let's be real. Our prayer lives often are uneventful and dull. A few years ago when I was the pastor of prayer, um, I was in charge of what we call the night watch. Ooh, some of you, if you've grown up in the charismatic circle, you know what I'm talking about. Is once a month we would pray from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. And I was in charge of that whole session once a month, 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. And, you know, in in the early hours of the night, it was actually really cool. A lot of people would come. But right around 1 a.m., People be leaving, y'all. By the time we hit 3 a.m., like, I kid you, every month, we'd have, like, like two or three people left. And these exact same two or three people. It's like Dan, right? Dan would be there for sure. 3 a.m., no matter what, right? And, you know, I tell you something. I want to tell you, looking back, oh, my God, God, Iris used to be there too, right? I, 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 I want to tell you that there are some earth-shattering, monumental moments during those hours in late night, but... But if I were to be completely honest with you, most of the time I was really bored. Even when I'm leading worship, it was uneventful. I was just being faithful. But I learned in that season there's something powerful. Even when you feel like you're not getting anything. Even when you don't get it. Like, am I just wasting my time? Like, I'm, 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 a young, I'm young only for a few more years. Why am I wasting my hours late into the night, early into the morning? But, but there's something that you learn being in spaces where it's uneventful and bored, but you stay. There's something that you learn that there's this value of just knowing I'm with the one that I love. I'm with Jesus, and it's not about what I can get or what I can give, but we just learn to be together. I think one of the struggles our generation faces is we don't know how to be bored anymore. We don't know how to sit still. We're constantly plugged in, constantly surrounded by sensory stimulation and noise and distraction and activity. And we don't know what to do with boredom because every time we're bored, we can throw on Netflix or put on a Spotify playlist or hop on Instagram. There's so many distractions. How many of you know there's a difference between worshiping God and worshiping our experience of God? And I think our generation, we are so prone to worshiping our experience of God instead of actually learning just to be with the one that we love. In silent prayer, God purifies us of the false God of good feelings. There is a false God of good feelings. Did you know that? 
There's nothing wrong with good feelings. I'm an Enneagram type 7. I thrive off of good feelings. I need good feelings in my life. But there comes a point where it can easily become an idol in our faith journey with God. And I think sometimes we miss out on the most life-changing moments in God's presence because we don't know how to endure the uneventful or the mundane. We skip past it. We want fast food faith. Pastor, give me the tweetables. In prayer, I want to hear God. In worship, get to, the, get to the bridge, right? We want those moments, those big moments, but it's often in the smaller ones where we don't know what's going on beneath the surface, where God is truly shaping and forming us. Listen, you might be more spiritual than I am, but I don't know if it's like this for you, but the moment I start praying, this is exactly what happens. God, I'm here. Mm. Shoot, I forgot to respond to that email last night. Did I feed Fig? I wonder if their Lakers are up. What should I say to that church member that I offended last week when I said Hufflepuff was better than Slytherin? I'm constantly distracted the moment I enter into prayer. I'm constantly taken away from my attention upon God. And I used to believe that being distracted in prayer simply meant that I was a weak, immature, bad Christian. But distraction from prayer isn't a sign that I'm bad. It's a sign that I'm human. It's a sign that we're human, y'all. It's a sign that we're millennials and Gen Z that's so easily distracted. And here's the powerful thing. Distraction can actually become a means of reuniting with God. Pastor Thomas Keating, he says, if your mind gets distracted 10,000 times in 20 minutes of prayer, it's 10,000 opportunities to return to God. When I find myself distracted, it's an opportunity to return to God, to set my attention upon him. And so when I'm distracted in prayer, did I feed Fig? Man, I'm a bad father. Ever since Zion was born, Fig is second fiddle. But when I'm distracted, I, I need to learn to say, okay, but here I am again, God. Here I am again. Here I am. Here I am. See, the spiritually mature aren't those who never get bored or distracted. They are those who show up and keep on showing up, even when they don't feel the presence of God, even when they don't hear anything. And they are those who show up regularly. Notice that the scripture says that Jesus often withdrew. We often wait until we're burned out or on the brink of meltdown before we withdraw and get away with God. But Jesus regularly withdrew. You know, I'm turning 35 in March. In my 35 years of living, I've learned that there are two types of people in the world, only two types of people. There are those that when the gas gauge is low, they get gas immediately. Right when it turns on E, they get gas. And there are those like me who like to drag the gas meter, all the way to the brink of empty. Which one are you? But anyway, I think most of us are like me, where we're going and going and going, and, you know, the, the alerts are coming up. Like, maybe you need a rest. Maybe you need to spend time with God, but we ignore it. See, I can go a little more. I can go a little more. And we let that gas gauge get lower and lower and lower. Some of us, we run out of steam. We burn out. I, I had to get towed three times in my life, y'all, and I still haven't learned. But what if we could live like my wife, who is the better half, where immediately when that, even before when that gas gauge comes on, when the light, before the light flickers, when we're at a quarter tank left, she says, we got to get gas. What if we live like that? 
where we regularly withdraw. I know, right? Quarter? Where we regularly withdraw, where we regularly leave this world to be with the one that we love so that we could come back in rested and full of strength and full of life. Listen, monks, they sustain themselves in prayer, not through feeling or variety or creativity, but through ritual, through rhythm and routine. And they say that monks say this, there's only one non-negotiable in prayer. You know what that is? Just keep showing up. 99, can we commit this year? To just keep showing up. Get distracted. Get bored. Become okay with it. Learn how to just be in the presence of God. To be still and to be silent. I mean, we've already set up the shot with you. Like, we set up the alley-oop for you guys with the rule of life. We just need to show up and do it. And carve out time to be with the one that we love. All it takes is intention. Can we commit to cultivating these monastic moments in our lives where we leave this world to be with Jesus? Let's make this the year that we set spiritual rhythms that last, that last long enough to bear good fruit. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to live the lifestyle of Jesus. I'll close with this. Maybe we're not called to uproot ourselves and move into the monastery in the middle of nowhere. I I feel like maybe some of you that's your call, but that's not my call. I love being in the busy city. I'm a city boy through and through. So maybe our call isn't to go into some monastery somewhere, become a monk or a nun, but maybe our calling is to build monasteries right here, right now. Our room, a monastery. Our workplace, a monastery. Our car, a monastery. Our favorite hiking trail, a monastery. Our gym, a monastery. A domestic monastery planted in the middle of our everyday lives. A doorway to another world where we can withdraw to be with Jesus so that we can enter back in in a new way. Can we do that, church? Can we be with the one that we love, the one that we want to be formed into? Can we make this a year? where we establish monastery, domestic monasteries in our everyday lives to be with him. Why don't we close our eyes and I just want to create a space today for us to respond. Some of you, I feel like you're really resonating with this and already you're thinking, I need to get away. I need to withdraw. I need to unplug from the matrix of my life. I need to be with Jesus. I need that life and that rest that only comes in his presence. And I feel like right now there is an invitation from the Holy Spirit to just give him your yes. Say, yes, God. I commit to carving out space, even if it's just five minutes a day, even if it's just Once a week where I go outside for 30 minutes and say, I'm going to be silent before you. Even if, even if it's just a little bit, it seems like a little to you, but, but I think there's power when we say yes to showing up. And so right now, just whatever that looks like in your heart, just, just give him your yes. If you're feeling moved, just say, yes, God, I want to commit to being with you this year, to cultivating these monastic moments, to get away and to be with the one that I love. Just take a moment to do that.